0: Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Anyone who's achieved
1: any level of success in their life knows that much of their success is a result of hard work. And yet at the same time, hard work is hard to do. Many people don't see it the importance of hard work in forming the character of a leader. And yet when Christ formed his 12 apostles, he shared the labors of evangelization with them. And he invited his apostles to embrace labor as a part of their life. How did this help form his apostles to be the bold leaders they would need to be? And what role does hard work play in our life as leaders today? Welcome back, everybody, to this chance to go deeper with your faith and leadership. And I'm looking in this series here at part five of how Christ made his leaders bold. And of course, what I'm referring to is that phrase that's found in the New Testament with reference to the apostles saying that they made a bold proclamation or they preached boldly. And that word bold in Greek actually is a word that means clearly, clearly outspokenly, forthcomingly, everything put out there for you in a way that you can't run away from. And I thought to myself, isn't that an amazing thing that the impact of the word of God, when, when God uses a word to describe the impact of his word, it's bold, meaning that you cannot run away from it. You can, you have to decide either to accept it or to reject it, but to claim that somehow or other, we don't really know what God is saying That's contrary to what his intention is anyway for the apostles and the proclamation of his word. And I think that's very interesting, right? Because I think most of us, if people were trying to describe, are you in fact a Catholic? Are you in fact a Christian in your leadership? We would, he would be tempted to kind of say, well, maybe a little bit, you know, I try to be here and there. We wouldn't be bold about it, right? And, and, And yet the apostles, they were bold. And when Christ Christ himself was on the earth, he was bold. He was clear. He was plain. It was out there for everyone to see. He was, in fact, claiming to be the son of God. And he came to save us from our sin. And he let us all know it. You you might like that. You might not like that. But in the book of Revelation, our Lord even says, the hot I can take and the cold I can take, but the lukewarm I would spit from my mouth, right? So you kind of like that, do you understand what he's trying to say there? It's okay to be in different spots in our spiritual journey, but let's be sure that our yes means yes and our no means no. And that kind of challenge of, of, to be true and authentic will reverberate through everything that we do to make us convincing leaders, Remember that one half of what makes someone a leader is their ability to elicit a response from the people who are following them. It's not just that you have a vision. It's not just that you have passion, but whether or not you can establish a bond of trust between the people who are following you, this will make your vision and your passion actually be effective in their hearts. A good way to remember this is just to remember that your followers will make you a leader. You don't make your followers follow. Your followers make you lead. It's a a wonderful way of looking at it, and it's a truth. If you don't have followers, then you're not a leader. And what is someone who follows? The most profound type of following will be one when they trust that you are leading them to a deeper fulfillment, a deeper achievement of who they are. And that's why Christ has you in that realm of leadership. But that also requires from us, therefore, that we be authentic, that we be trustworthy, that we be real in who we are. And therein lies the whole sanctification of a leader. Why would God call you to run a business, right? Why would he call you to manage an office? Why would he put responsibility on your shoulders? Why would he ask you to take a role in society that no one else seems to want to take, which causes a lot of stress and grief in your life? It's for your sake, because it'll humble you. None of us can achieve the demands of leadership on our own. We, we were brought very quickly to our weaknesses, to our faults, to our failings, to the mistakes that we can make. And it's there that we can open ourselves up to God and allow him to work his mighty work in us. Leadership will humble us. It will make us humble enough to serve the people whom we are leading, to not look at leadership as a power or as a prestige, but to look at it as an act of service that I undertake to make sure that everyone under my sphere of leadership develops in their true depths of who they are, that they become better people, more virtuous people, holier people, people who are better moms and dads, people who are better in their relationships in life. But to do this, I have to be authentic. And that authenticity means that I need to confront the basic question myself. Am I willing to be someone who is capable of making a bold proclamation? Am I willing to be someone who is capable of making a bold proclamation? Bold proclamations don't just come out of the sky and they're not something I can fake. It's something that I put myself behind and the clarity of what I intend to express flows from the simplicity of who I am. No word will be more powerful than the word of a man of virtue. Someone who has cultivated the character that stands behind what they say. Then their words have an impact on the hearts of those who are around them. It's really the secret of leadership. If leadership is all about influence and influence is a function of authenticity and truth, well, then nothing will be more capable of forming dynamic leaders than someone who allows the truth of God to form the authenticity of their character. This is why the saints make such an impact everywhere they go. This is why no one could refute the, the witness of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Remember her? This little woman, I mean, she was less than five feet tall. And yet she changed the world and everyone wanted to meet her. Everyone wanted to hear her. Even though her words were incredibly simple, they were, they were straight to the point and straight to the heart. We all wanted to hear someone who spoke boldly, who spoke boldly truly whose word and whose character were aligned and that made such a, a witness for god who is true that it, it it's the pattern for all of our leadership i will be effective in my leadership at work and in my family to the degree that i form an authenticity of heart at the service of my good words and good actions so that begs the question then how do i do that how do i form an authenticity of heart well, of course, if I look back at the gospel, I see the master of leadership, the one who formed his apostles to speak boldly, and I need to look at how he did that. So if we look at how Christ forms his apostles, we can see that, number one, he calls them to put him as his top prior- their top priority, their number one reference point. He brings them to share a common life so that they could correct each other and enrich each other. He allows them to encounter opposition. He teaches them to be men of truth. And then he allows them to work with him. And we need to let that surprise us a little bit. I mean, that's, that's amazing. What, what value does work have in their formation? We could, usually when we think about formation, about the, the education of the apostles, we think about him teaching them, or we would picture them fo- him, following him through the fields in the countryside and spending time with him, eating meals with him and things like that. But that was only a part of the picture. There was an essential element in the formation that Christ gave to his apostles and that he asked them to do his work with him. I want to understand the importance of that because by so doing, maybe I'll understand the importance of hard work in my own life as the Lord trains me to speak boldly and to make that impact and influence in the life of those whom I lead.
0: Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th, at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit riseabove. So when I
1: look at the life of Christ with the 12 apostles, I'm I'm looking at the number one source of leadership training that we all need to refer to, the Lord himself. And I think we can all be astounded by the fact that our Lord trained the apostles to be the apostles. I mean, he took them from their professional life and professional careers or from their religious zeal. And some of their origins were not quite sure what they were doing beforehand, but he took them from their families, from their lands, from the normal societal functions that they employed and he brought them to be missionaries who would take the word of God to the four corners of the earth. I mean, they're the 12 apostles. You you don't get any, any more foundational to the church than these guys. These are the 12 pillars of the church. I'm thinking of the great cathedral of the world, right? St. John Lateran Basilica in Rome. And you have 12 pillars literally inside the church structure. And at the base of each pillar is a huge, you know, statue, 15 foot statue of one of the 12 apostles. And these are just classical depictions of these men. But the, the analogy here is that the, this is the foundation. And how, how do you make a foundation of the church out of an accountant <laughs> or out of a tax collector or out of a fisherman, you know, or, you know, how do you do that? Well, that's what Jesus does. Well, you could say the same thing. How would he make an amazing dad, an amazing grandpa, an amazing aunt out of someone who is like you, for example, right? Like we we all look at ourselves and say, it's impossible that Jesus make me a saint. I know my past. I know my present. And I I pretty much can predict my future. And sainthood is not there. Well, I've got news for you, actually, that that's not the plan of Christ. The plan of Christ is to make you a saint. And you say, well, how is that going to be possible? Well, in the same way that he made these 12 men into great apostles, he wants to operate in your life to help you to become a great apostle too. He wants a saint out of you. Well, he's going to use the same methods that he used for the 12 apostles. Now you use them differently because there he was with them in the flesh, but at the same time, spiritually, he doesn't change What he did in the gospels was to reveal and show to us how he continues to work with us today. And in the midst of the many different ways that he he works with his apostles, one of the, the most amazing or astounding to me is that he allows them to work beside him. And maybe one of the best places for us to see that is in Luke chapter 10. When our Lord sends out literally the 72, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, of course, <laughs> that, that sounds familiar, right? <laughs> is it, there's always more work. And it's amazing when you're in a leadership role that you see where to go. And of course, your number one problem is your people. How, how do I hire the people, get the resources marshaled to accomplish these things? And so we go to our strategy and we try to figure out what's the key goal that's going to allow us to leverage that to go on to the next goal so that we can, with limited resources, make the impact that we want to make. But man, if we had unlimited resources of people, it'd be amazing. The the, the work would be light because there'd be many hands make light work, right? But at the same time for Christ here, he is telling them, I'm going to send you into something that's hard. I'm going to need laborers and not just followers. Most of us want to follow him, but we're not really quite sure we want to work for him. Well, that's why our word oftentimes lacks the efficiency, the efficacy of the word of the apostles because it hasn't been hardened in our hearts by putting sweat equity and sacrifice in behind it. You know, the more that we are invested in the faith, the more that our faith costs from us, the more authentic our proclamation of the faith becomes. And I kind of wonder if that's not one of the chief reasons why he chooses to send a 72 out saying, you are going to be laborers for me. The Greek word that he uses there is ergatai which is this literally the the worker or the one who gets it done, the one who's going to accomplish what I've planned to do. Those people are missing. It's literally Christ praying here or expressing his desire that his apostles be doers, that they put this into action and that that's a part and parcel of the essence of Christianity. We are not a new age religion, everyone. We're not a spirituality that's divorced from the doing of our life. In fact, Christ is looking for doers. He's looking for ergatai, the workers of the deed. He goes on in Luke 10, 7, and he says, remain in the same house and eat and drink what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Or you could think about another scene in the gospel where Jesus has the 5,000 sitting in front of him, standing in front of him preaching, and he asks the apostles to make the people to sit down. And and the apostles do that, then the apostles go and bring the food from Jesus that he 's multiplied to feed the people, and he bring they bring the food from Jesus to the people. then they have to gather up all of the scraps. I mean you can imagine not only in that scene but in the many scenes where the the crowds are around Jesus that the apostles had to really work i mean if they had any role at all. It would have been a role that would have required a lot of their efforts. You know, they would have had to, to, to communicate with the people, help the crowd control, help the flow, deal with things afterwards, after the events happened. We see when the disciples come down from the mountain of the transfiguration, for example, that the other disciples who were left behind are actually performing an exorcism working on behalf of the Lord. When the when the 72 come back in Luke 10, they rejoice because they say even the demons are subject to your name, meaning that they were casting out demons in the name of Christ. So so the labor of the apostles is mul- multiple from the hardships of the road and sharing in the mission of Christ there towards the crowds, to being sent by him ahead of the of him into the towns where he is to go to do, to do the labor of the Lord there. It's a a preparation of hands-on activity. Now, obviously the the Lord does it first. It's in the Acts of the Apostles that we start to see the, the Apostles miracles being worked first by Simon Peter and so forth. But at the same time, already present in the gospel, there's this theme. I want to share the burden with you. Even our Lord says it as much when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. I wanna share with you the, the work that I and myself do. Now the question of course is raised, why? Why would our Lord want the apostles to work with him? Work is hard, work is challenging. Work requires going from one spot to another from a current state to a different state, a better state, hopefully, but through your own efforts and the work of your own hands. And you could almost say, well, isn't that exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to do as Christians? I thought Jesus was gonna do the work and I was supposed to just praise his holy name. And isn't it amazing that this doesn't work out this way? You know, try doing that with your taxes. Just say, okay, Jesus, you go ahead and do my taxes for me. And I'll just sit here and praise your holy name. See, <laughs> see how well that works. I, I wouldn't advise. That's bad tax advice, right? It's funny. Or you say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I want you to raise these children for me. And I'll just sit here and praise your holy name. It's like, it's amazing that the Lord wants his disciples to be leaders, which means men and women who are laborers. And for that, he trains the labor of evangelization, the labor of leadership by the hard work that he does with us. And this is amazing because it gives a perspective of value to the hard work that we do. More than just a human value, it shows the divine intention behind the work that is a part and parcel of our life as a Christian leader, and I want to dig deeper into that with you.
0: Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30 minute call at 6 30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.st.johnleadershipnetwork.org/slash member and join for free today. So in the gospels,
1: we see Jesus inviting the apostles to work with him, right? From from helping him in the proclamation of the word, to, to, to laying hands on the sick, anointing them with oil, to going out and casting out demons even, you know, he'll eventually tell them, go forth and raise the dead, you know, proclaim the kingdom of God wherever you go. But I think it's amazing that he doesn't doesn't short shrift them, just giving them the proclamation aspect of it. He shows them how hard it is. Like when the young man comes to him and says, you know, can I follow you? And Jesus says, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have their layers, but the son of man has nowhere to rest his head. It's a a, a demonstration by Christ where he's sharing with this young follower to be The fact that hardship is a part and parcel of being able to proclaim that word. That is a disciple who's not willing to sweat for him is not worthy to lead in his name. And I want to develop with you what I see as the three main reasons why hard work is essential to being able to make the bold proclamation that Christ wants his apostles, his disciples today, that is you, to be able to make. Why hard work? Why is that essential to it? Number one, the first reason is because by the hard work, we're able to invest the deepest part of who we are into what we do. Here's what I mean. It's one thing to speak someone else's word in a way that's detached from it, almost like a a messenger boy or a spokesperson, right? Who doesn't really care because it's not really them. They're just there as a functionary to deliver the message of someone else. This is not the pathway to a bold proclamation. This is not the pathway to the witnessing that Jesus wants from us. To witness to Christ, we need to be on fire with him. Like, like a, a piece of, of iron or steel that's been laid into the flames, takes the heat and the light of the fire, even when it's taken out of the flames and is unable to carry that to whomever it touches. Well, That's what our souls are supposed to be with God. Now, why does he want that? Because he wants our lives to be caught up with his. God doesn't work in a way that's detached from us. He works with us. And that demands that we work with him, right? So that that, that authenticity comes from the fact that I'm speaking about him, but I'm speaking about him from the inside as someone who has chosen to share his life and to make his labor my own. My work is a way for me to unite with Jesus. And if you think about this as a Catholic priest, you know, today a lot of people question, well, what's the value of the celibate priesthood? And I'll just say, put it in that perspective. Look at the value of the celibate priesthood so that the priest be so associated with Christ that to talk about a sweat equity or talking about putting things, you know, your skin in the game, the priest has given up literally wife and children in order to stand at that altar and minister the body and blood of Christ, he's done more than put his money where his mouth is. He's put everything that he has where his mouth is, so that the word that he speaks, have the value and the strength of G- that Jesus wants it to have for his people. The second reason why Jesus uses work to form bold leadership is that the work makes our proclamation real. You know, how do you go from an idea or that's very idealistic, honestly, I mean, you know, we're talking about God, we're talking about heaven, we're talking about perfect love, we're talking about the unity of all mankind, things and ideas which are tantalizing, of course, and attractive, of course, but which could sometimes run the risk of losing the practical application that they need to find. I mean, how are we supposed to make that proclamation in a way that's real if we're not familiar with the real exigencies of the world in which we live? I mean, how, do pe- how long are people's attention spans? What are people interested in? Why would they listen to this message? How can I make this message effective in the life of people who are hurting or who are overwhelmed? What does this message look like for those who are in need Only someone who has actually had to labor with transforming the material that's capable of receiving the word will actually be able to do it effectively. The labor, in other words, puts us close to the reality of the effect we're trying to render. I will be able to better serve the Lord's impact if I'm aware of how to make that impact in the lives of those who are near me. And so our Lord puts us to the hard work. He's like, you know, I mean, you can look at all the different ways that we reach out as a church as evidence of the effort that the church has put behind proclaiming this word from starting soup kitchens, to starting orphanages, to writing books, to doing, you know, outreach on the internet, to inviting people into services, you know, all the different ways that we do this. it's, It's a constant labor that entails so much practicality. I mean, I always think of the beautiful Knights of Columbus with their their Friday fish fries during Lent. Well, there's a lot of practicality involved there. But the reason they're doing that is to make the love of God known and to to feed our Catholic faith with the fellowship that we need on the Fridays of Lent. And I mean, it, it might seem distant from the proclamation of the word, but work always seems distant from the proclamation of the word. That's just it. And yet Jesus wanted that word's proclamation to be rooted and the real hard labor that's required so that that word is not distorted into a false idealism by, because the men and women who proclaim it know where it belongs, where it comes from and what it costs. The third real value to the work is that it unites what we say with the cross of Christ through the real gift of ourself in and through suffering, in and through labor, in and through the, the, the time that we'll never get back again, the sacrifice that works entails, it unites us with the cross of Christ. And if in the end, all of our proclamation will be efficacious to the degree that it flows from the cross of Jesus Christ and flows to the cross of Jesus Christ, well, the labor that I do becomes a real gift of myself that allows me to give myself with Jesus for the sake of this leadership. Now, I've talked a lot about evangelization, but I want you to know this is just as applicable in your workspace. The Lord wants us to go through the hard labor of the day-to-day job that we have to do so that he can be as real in the impact he's making through us as we are in the lives of those we are leading. And in the same way, in the second reason that we gave for evangelization, which is present in the workplace, is to look at your jobs as God's outreach to the world. Stop looking at yourself and defining your role like the world does. Define it like God does. This is a service that God's put me on the earth that I can render to help my fellow human being and to glorify him. And therefore, all the knowledge that's entailed to make whatever I'm doing effective in the world... And all of the demands that that requires of my mind, of my brain, of my stress, of my nerves, all of those things are as a part of the dedication that I have to make sure that my goods are good and that my services truly serve. And then finally, the third way, of course, that's the labor of the cross, that I can offer myself and my workday as a prayer to Christ in union with the Holy Mass and the sacrifice that that entails of me for the sanctification of the world. Glory to God for making me a worker and my work will make me a better agent of his kingship of our world.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at org. That's communications at org. and visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.